and welcome back to MMA, BJJ, and Life on the Road, Part 2 with DJ. As I progress my way, as I mistakenly said, I don't know how I got New York on the brain, from California to Florida. Again, two of uh, the most beautiful states, although, uh, you know, I certainly rekindled my love for New York uh, this summer when I went home to see... uh, my uh, high school friends from New York and see my hometown and the beauty of it just absolutely blew me away. It was the best vacation I've had in years, uh, be it only for four days or so. Anyway, welcome back to MMA BJJ and life. Um, on the road part two, Holloway versus Aldo. And I just wanted to make some picks for you guys uh, regarding that and just talk about those fights a little bit. Um, a little bit in context as well, given that what we uh, sort of contextualized for you uh, yesterday with Novinyao letting go of Kimura and the other affiliates, um, dumbest thing ever. But uh, so I want to talk to you about these fights and just give you my opinion a little bit, and some of it is going to ring really true when you look at some of the BS uh, that's come out of uh, the mouth of Andre Pedernes about the last Aldo Holloway fight and many Aldo fights. And you have to understand what his 101 is. Um, there's sort of a Novo Nyao 101 that he uses used for several fighters. And, um, and how when someone figures out what that is, it's very easy to strategize against them. So... Um, so let's jump into it. Um, Max Holloway, and you know, again, I'm a big fan, as is anybody. If you're an MMA fan for real, then you're a big fan of Jose Aldo and you're a big fan of Max Holloway. There's no two ways about that. There's no other way to, to couch that. You're talking about a couple of, uh, and Aldo, one of the greatest fighters ever to fight uh, in uh, the UFC and MMA, and in Max Holloway, an up and coming. Somebody called him, I think it was Ariel Helwani, called him a pound-for-pound great, uh, one of the pound-for-pounder, possibly the top pound-for-pound. That could not be. I don't care if he's won 11 fights in a row. It's impossible that he could be a pound-for-pound when A, he lost to McGregor, and B, uh, Mighty Mouse hasn't lost to anybody in years. Um, So Mighty Mouse, uh, Demetrius Johnson, is the pound-for-pound, and nobody else is in that discussion, uh, he's number one, and everybody else, I don't care who you name, is number two. Um, And if you have evidence to support, to say otherwise, I'd love to hear it. And I love Tony Ferguson, and the the streak that he's on, and the way he just took care of business against a very game, if if, uh, uh, staff infected Kevin Lee. And uh, I love uh, uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, who is 124 in a row. But when he fights as infrequently as he does, you just can't put him in a pound-for-pound right now. He's just not there. So, And what is the point of talking about Max Holloway in a pound-for-pound if Demetrius is still alive and hasn't lost in years since he lost to, like, Dominic Cruz or something? Although I think you could argue he should have lost to Ian McCall, but um, in the uh, flyweight tournament, the inaugural flyweight tournament, but that is the tournament that turned his career around. 
and completely change the way that he does his business. So, and after that, we've seen like Super Demetrius um, never tested positive for anything. And so he is the pound for pound right now because John Jones has just, you know, uh, found his way out of that discussion. So, uh, but Max Holloway is an amazing fighter, if not pound for pound, but is just, you know, one of the up and coming and greatest fighters in the UFC right now and a guy who's quickly erasing any weakness that he might have had though we can see if anything will be exploited by either uh, Frank Edgar when he gets his shot or Jose Aldo this weekend. But let's let's jump into that matchup. So, um, you know, Max Holloway obviously is a great striker, um, has beautiful straight punches. Um, as I said, you know, he actually is in a way... If you listen to people, you don't have to listen to me because I'm just a schmuck podcast host and and, um, and uh, all I know is what I've seen from watching MMA over the years like you guys trained a little bit, been hit in the face a little bit. I know just a tad about it. But if you want to listen to guys like Brian Stan who has multiple fights and Kenny Florian who has 20-some-odd fights in the UFC... Any of these guys, you know, between them, they probably have 30 fights in the UFC. Um, And listen to them talk about what Jose Aldo didn't do. And you're going to hear them mimic exactly what I told you guys after that fight when when, uh, Jose Aldo was beaten by Max Holloway. Exactly what I said. And what was that? Was that this is a game that is not always about the one thing that you can do. So Damian Maya found out that he could do one thing really well, and most people could not stop it. Jorge Masvidal almost stopped it. And then when he went against a guy named Colby Covington, a guy with real wrestling credentials, not just gym wrestling like Jorge Masvidal, but real wrestling credentials that's a good MMA wrestler, he found out that he couldn't take him down. And in the and just like with Tyron Woodley, and in the absence of being able to take him down, he had nothing left to go to because he found out that he wasn't really good at any other part of MMA other than takedowns, which looked, you know, he's basically bailing on uh, his uh, first shot attempt. Like a, a lot of jiu-jitsu guys do, they don't follow through with the double, turn the corner, all these kinds of things. And he had no striking game to go to, which that's just one of his limitations as an athlete. It's okay. He's made a a career out of uh, using those other two parts of his game. With Jose Aldo, you have a guy who has wrestled and taken people down, who has turned the corner on double legs or gotten single legs, who does have some sort of a top game in jiu-jitsu, who does have some of the greatest leg kicks we've ever seen that you know nearly got stoppages with leg kicks drop people on the floor multiple times we do have the second best leg kicker in the UFC or at least one of the second one of the top guys behind Edson Barbosa he was never as effective as Edson Barbosa simply because of the fact that Edson Barbosa has stopped several guys with leg kicks and he has never not leg kicked now Edson may be 
entering a fight, in this case, where he may not want a leg kick as much because you're going up against Khabib Nurmagomedov. So, but if he's going to throw a, a, kick, a low kick, it better be as low as he can get it. But Ed, Edson Barbosa throws a very fast kick. He doesn't need a lot of setup. And if he can hit Khabib with a few of those kicks, Khabib is probably not conditioned to them, and he can start to have an effect on his shot. So he apps, you know, I guess you could say he really does have to throw that kick. Because if you don't, he is going to clinch you against the cage anyway. There's no way that you're going to be able to just box him and run around the cage. Eventually, he's going to get his hands around, he's going to get a body lock on you, and he's going to get you against the cage. And after that, you are going to go on your back. Unless you're somebody like a Ben Funky Askren or somebody like that. You know, if Khabib locks his hands around you, you're going to go on your back. And in that case, I'm... I really believe that our uh, Barbosa should throw throw calf kicks and leg kicks and things that he can get off. He doesn't have a lot of wind up. He's not very rote like Jose Aldo will do the you know the uh, overhand right left to the body right and the the Dutchy uh, combination and then right leg kick that kind of thing. It's very rote, but when it works, it's brilliant. Um, what's his name doesn't he? You know he'll throw naked leg kicks sometimes. Edson Barbosa is so fast with his kick. It's just so well crafted. So with all that in mind, don't believe the bullshit of Andre Pedernera's uh, last time when he tried to tell the media right after the fight when he got knocked down and then and then finished, uh, choked out or whatever it was, tapped by a... I can't even remember how the finish was. I just remember it was on the floor. I think it was a TKO. He was, he was just hitting, he turtled and was getting hit, and they stopped it, I think. Or he might he may have actually strangled him, I don't remember. But but he, he tapped Aldo, or uh, he finished Aldo, and the first thing people said was, hey, he didn't leg kick. He was trying to just box with him. And obviously, Jose's fallen in love with boxing. He came to California, went to uh, somewhere up around the Riverside area, went to a uh, boxing gym. And spent a few weeks there boxing and fancies himself. I got news for you, as I told you. He's not going to be a great boxer. He's not going to be one of these guys that's going to be in there with elite boxers making really good money and beating them. That's not something that's going to happen. Okay? Um, and, uh, and especially he's not going to do it until the UFC until the Ali Act is, is extended to UFC fighters. Otherwise, the UFC has to contractually agree for him to box like they did to, uh, to McGregor, and that's probably not going to happen. So, um, But then again, the UFC said they're going to get in the boxing game, so it's possible that if they do start promoting boxing that they could stick Aldo in there where they're still going to make the money off of it. So... And I don't think that's going to be a great venture for the UFC either because I don't think they're going to get big names in there, at least on the boxing side, to fight unless they're willing to pay stupid amounts of money. The model doesn't doesn't fit where the way that the UFC, you know, like where, you know, basically 8 to 10, 15% of the profits go to the fighters in the, in the boxing game, a much higher 
amount as it should goes to the fighters. So anyway, so Aldo coming out, not throwing leg kicks, basically giving Max Holloway nothing to think about, never clinched, never shot a takedown, never went for a single, a double, nothing. Just wanted to come out and use his speed and athleticism to hit Max Holloway until, of course, what inevitably happens, you get tired. And uh, because there is a, a different kind of cardio in boxing, and I think that the conditioning down at Novo Niao is obviously very suspect when you look at a lot of their top-level fighters and how tired they get, which is to say all of them. Um, pretty much all of them get tired. So when you look at that, and then it was easy to see what was going to happen. But Andre Pinares wants Jose to always fight the most conservative game plan. So you stop the takedown. So when you have Brazilian wrestlers come in and they work with Aldo and all they do is work on taking him down. You know, he's not working on his offensive wrestling game, which is a mistake. And, you know, during sparring, he'll hit him, you know, lightly and stuff, try to tag him until he gets tired. Then finally when he gets tired, they can take him down, but he's able to stop most of their takedowns. You know, that's great. But what happens when you're the one that needs to take down your opponent and you're not? And that is a situation that Jose Aldo will be in against Max Holloway. He must as we told you last time, and as Brian Stant, experts, not people like me, talking heads, experts in the field like uh, Connor Rebush and uh, and Pat Wyman, analyst guys that, that both actually strike in their spare time, boxing and kickboxing. And then you have uh, professional fighters like Brian Stan and Kenny, Kenny Florian saying you have to give your opponent other things to think about in order to win against great fighters unless it's somebody like Frankie Edgar who can't smaller less reach can't strike with Aldo and then so that that you can have a game plan where you just say oh I'm going to stop his takedown and counter punch yeah that doesn't work against someone like Holloway as you saw so I'm not telling you something you don't know but then had an errors instead of admitting that the game plan was not to leg kick and that he didn't tell uh, Aldo to do that, which you can hear from whatever corner recording that they had, that, um, that he makes the excuse that the stance of Holloway prevented them from landing leg kicks, which is complete bullshit, because you have to move outside, like anybody who leg kicks, you have to move outside their forward leg in order to, whichever it is, left or right, in order to land that kick. Did he do that? Nope. So then that excuse didn't have a lot of traction in, in the Brazilian media and in the MMA media. So he comes back a couple days later, and then he says Aldo was injured. And that's why he didn't throw kicks. So then which was it? Was it the first story that Max Holloway's stance prevented that? Or was it the second BS story? So you got, it, you got us confused because we don't know which story to believe. I don't believe either, actually. Uh, for me, but that's just me. I'm a skeptic of Pedneris because I know what he wants to do. He wanted to do the same thing with Dillashaw. Yeah, yeah, but I'll stop TJ's takedown. Yeah, you did that, and then just counter, counter strike him and throw that one spinning kick. Yeah, well, that didn't work very well because he found out that not only 
didn't TJ not have to take him down, that he outstruck him badly on the feet. And that's why you must, when you're an athlete like a Barao or Jussier or Alda, any of those guys, you have to use a complete game, a takedown game. You have to work on your wrestling. You have to give a clinch game. Give the opponent something else to think about. You sitting there and just saying, oh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to work on this vaunted takedown defense, which is great. It's very valuable to have that. And I applaud them that they do have that level of takedown defense. But that is not going to save you in a fight where you need to have a complete game against a complete fighter. And TJ Dillashaw is about as complete a fighter as you're going to get. Now, he may not be a jiu-jitsu black belt, but I'll tell you what, he can do some work on the ground. Ask John Lineker. He beat the hell out of John Lineker from top position. Only the toughness of Lineker uh, 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 enabled him to survive that. Um, But a complete fighter like a Max Holloway. Now, Max's wrestling game might not be the best, but is anybody here going to be shocked if he took Aldo down? And surprised him after working him for uh, three or four rounds, you know, uh, on the feet, and then going and securing a takedown I'm, and getting him tired. I'm not going to be surprised. And I tell you what, if Aldo doesn't come out and land a significant amount of leg kicks in each round, he's going to lose again. He will. And now, guess what? Holloway's going to really be looking for that leg kick because Holloway's camp is sitting there and going. How can they shift the paradigm on us? What, what could, could Novoniao, Pedneris, and Aldo do differently that's super dangerous that they didn't do the last fight that we thought they would do? And even Holloway said he expected him to kick more, and he didn't. So that the, the one paradigm shift they can make is for him to leg kick. So now, Holloway, if he was expecting some before, now he's really expecting it. Now you really got him dialed in on leg kicks. Um, so that's going to be on them as far as how they handle that. But this is, um, this is where we're at right now. So if I had to put money on it, if I had to put money on it, I would expect Max Holloway would come out, he would outstrike Aldo, Aldo probably won't throw that many leg kicks because it would have to be um, the design of his entire attack to throw those. Um, Holloway probably will pick off one or two and then try to raise that ankle, grab that ankle, raise it up into the air, try to trip Aldo down and he'll probably get him on the floor at some point. Aldo does not have a good guard. Most of the guys, other than Leo Santos at Novo Niao, don't really have a great guard. They're based, they're mostly top game players and, and deep half kind of players. And that does not lend itself well to MMA unless you have a very, very advanced deep half game like Damian Maia has or Fabrizio Verdum has or something like that. Um, so I don't think that... Um, I, I don't think that uh, that will be very successful if Aldo's on the bottom to him winning a round. I think if he gets taken down, he's probably going to lose that round. 
So, all in all, if I had to put money on it, I would say Holloway probably wins this rematch. In my heart, as a fan, again, not as an analyst, as a fan, I, I would love to see Aldo win. I would love to see Aldo come out with a complete game and show all of his skills, try not to get beat up too much in training, try to do a lot of drilling, a lot of conditioning, and a lot of skill work, and not a lot of sparring, and then come out, fire his leg kick, get his movement going, feel fresh, and go out and execute a game that includes singles, doubles, things like that. What if he were able to get Max Holloway on his back? That would look really, really good for Jose Aldo. So those kinds of things, I'm very intrigued with that kind of a game plan. I'm not intrigued with, uh, I'm not intrigued with uh, what, what uh, if he just comes out and tries to box Holloway because he will lose again. So, the, you know, Aldo's going to basically do whatever Dede Pedernetis tells him to do. It's like his second father. He says that over and over. So unless we see something significant, um, a change in what Pedernetis wants to do, then you won't see a significant change in what Aldo wants to do. And that could lead to his demise because I don't trust Pedernetis as a, as a strategist. Um for obvious reasons when you look at you know when you you, you look at people that they've lost you know um, again but Al lost worse the second time than he did the first time Formiga several uh, game plans that he gave him I don't think were very good for Jussier um, and he put Jussier in a position where he had to leave and try to go somewhere else to improve his already incredible skills that Jussier has but now he's got to go elsewhere to try to um, get those skills into refined into a game plan that he can use in a fight at the age of 30, 31 years old, which for a flyweight is starting to get up there as far as learning a lot of new things. So I'm hope Jussier has a lot of talent. He has a lot of drive. He's, you know, my easily my best friend in MMA. So, you know, take that. You know, for what it's worth, that's how I feel about him as a person. And he has the tools to do it. It's just a question of if he can get to the right camp with the right group that will bring it out of him. And, um, you know, he got a win in his last fight against Sasaki, but Sasaki's been beaten by several guys. He's not um, the best fighter in the world. You know, Ray Borg would, would be far more of a test for him, although I... I believe Ray Borg's ahead of him, but he could be looking at somebody like a Brandon Moreno, so who's very talented, a very jiu- good jiu-jitsu game, a decent striking game, not Sergio Pettis-level striking as you saw, but a very, very good, tough, all-around fighter with good skills in wrestling and submissions and, and decent striking. That would be a big win for Formiga if he could get a Brandon Moreno. Um, I think he's actually got Ben Wynn, though. i got to go and watch some video on Ben Wynn, but Ben Wynn, I know, is uh, a very quick, fast, um, tough guy with a uh, good jiu-jitsu top game, and 
wrestling and things like that. So he's very, very tough. So I forgot that Ben Wynn is the guy that if he beats Ben Wynn, it'll look very good for, for Amiga. So he's an up and coming uh, potential star at 125 is uh, Ben Wynn. Um, so anyway, so that I digress, but that's that's why I don't have a ton of faith in um, in in what Pedneras wants to do because they're very rote, basic game plans. Everybody who fights a Novo Nyal fighter, they're going to talk respectfully about him because they do have a record of success, which I believe is based more in the toughness and the uh, abilities of the fighters than it is on his particular training methods or strategies where people got sparred way too hard, worked way too hard, and went into fights very flat. Um, they did very poor on nutrition. They did not. Um, that's why Jose Aldo early on had a lot of trouble making weight and with weight cuts. And then with Barao, they were not on Barao. And uh, he nearly killed himself doing, and I don't mean him killing himself, but like in the Chicago uh, one, he, he was out of the ability to sweat. And then the next night, he's going to go in there against TJ Dillashaw. That this is not a good thing. So, um, I, I don't think they've done a good job. I saw the weight cut of Jussier. I don't think they've done a good job to manage the nutrition. Um, they're way behind the power curve. Uh, whereas you see a lot of fighters show up, um, show up in uh, the states, and they have like a little grill. Uh, with them a little platform grill they can put in the room they'll get some salmon they'll get some broccoli some sweet potatoes whatever it is you know very um, healthy clean food and I've seen those guys not do that and have them eating junky uh, food uh, before a fight and things like that and that that's just not good not good so um, so I don't, I don't trust them. Although, you know, Jose hasn't had a problem with the weight cut in a while. That was a huge problem going, going back several years ago. And, um, I hope that he can come in healthy, not overworked because it's not how much sparring he does. That's going to make the difference between him, him beating Holloway now. You know, you saw Ben Askren say he sparred twice in this last camp. So... Um, that's it. You don't need a lot of sparring when you get to that level. It should be a lot of skill work, a lot of conditioning, um, and a lot of strategizing uh, when he is doing sparring or whatever is a lot of using whatever their strategy is, but not not going full blast trying to uh, beat the hell out of each other hard sparring. I just, nobody, almost no one is doing that anymore. Very few camps. So, anyway... Um, so that's my thoughts on that fight. As we work our way down, we have uh, former title uh, heavyweight title contender Alistair Overeem. Um, guy's got 43 wins against 15 losses and uh, zero draws against Francis Ngannou, who is 10 and 1. Francis Ngannou, the Cameroonian uh, native who moved to Paris, was living on the street when he started training. An incredible story. Make, gets in the UFC, makes some good money, moves himself to Vegas, and now, as Ariel was pointing out, his home gym is basically the uh, UFC Performance Institute, uh, which is great. You know, take advantage of it. He can go in there free. He can bring his coaches in there. He can, he can get all the training that he wants and then get therapy, everything from cryo and ice baths to 
massage and every kind of um, training plus um, treadmill inside the pool and everything else. Every, everything you could want is there in the UFC Performance Institute and it's free for them to go. You might as well use it. Um, so so this fight, uh, Overeem, I mean, uh, those of you who have been watching MMA for a number of years know that Alistair Overeem is very chinny. Um, he has a very suspect chin. And, um, and he's done, uh, you know, he's, he's changed up his game a lot under Jackson Wink. Um, you would think that throwing the leg kicks that he's capable of throwing, I promise you, this is a promise from DJ San Marco to you on 28 November 2017, that he could take out the heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic, only using leg kicks and covering up, using like a Floyd Mayweather type of a defense with his hands, and then opening up, stepping out, and working on firing his leg kick, either his right or his left. I mean, he cannot take leg kicks. I've told you that on a number of occasions. And when Junior Dos Santos hit him with a leg kick, he said, holy shit, I've got to end this fight now. Now. Because I can't take a lot more of those leg kicks. And he was right. Um, He's brilliant about that. So I tell you that this uh, this is the way to beat the heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic. And Overeem is the only one that has leg kicks at that level in the... I mean, Junior, you know, obviously learned his Muay Thai just through the process of training. He's basically a boxer, but uh, working with Cattell Kubis and those guys at, at, um, at American Top Team, they're going to they're gonna tell you that you better kick. You know, you better, you better add kicking into your game. If you're only boxing, you are not giving your opponent something to guard against and their stance is completely safe. You don't want your opponent, and this will stitch back to to Holloway and Aldo, you do not want your opponent feeling completely safe in their striking stance. You want them defending, defending. So they know that when they're looking at you and they're fainting left and right and bobbing and moving their head and trying to set up their left, right, their one, two, their combinations, that they are worried about guarding their legs. And if you don't give that to them, they will plant their feet, especially at a certain level, and they will knock you out. And that is what Stipe Miocic does. And he doesn't get taken to task for it because of the fact that we don't have a kicker in the heavyweight division that's committed to go in there and kicking him. I've often said that about John Jones, too. We don't have a light heavyweight fighter who can wrestle and has a a Muay Thai game that could land a kick. Alexander Gustafson never landed any kicks against John Jones. But I'm I'm pretty certain that if you had someone that had a serious Muay Thai style game, he would smash uh, John Jones with leg and could. He could make John Jones think about it. Yes, of course, John Jones has a wrestling game. He has a complete game and, and you could end up losing another way but you could at least make him think about what he's doing if you could hit him in the leg really hard enough times to where he would start thinking about it. And not one fighter has. Cormier was closest, but he didn't just land. There's just not enough. 
and Cormier is a five foot eleven fighter going against an, a a huge six four six five fighter with incredibly long legs. So um, Cormier just wasn't the right guy. But you know, if you had the right guy, a Tyrone Spun esque striker it could be big big problems for John Jones. Same thing would apply to any to the heavyweight division. If you're talking about what Alistair Overeem can do, he is the only one who has the Dutch kickboxing credentials in the heavyweight division that could do what he can do. The problem is he doesn't do it, and we don't see him do it. So that's the big problem, okay? So, um, so I don't really, um, I don't really buy into um, um, to that theory though, because now a lot of what he does is he moves around the cage a lot. He's, he's very wary of his chin, and he's gotten really smart about protecting himself, and that's good. That's good on a fighter that does that, that that's, is aware of what their weaknesses are and how to protect themselves, and that's what, that's what Alstro Reem is doing lately, and that's good. So um, I expect when he fights Francis Ngannou, he knows the power he has, um, supposedly his wrestling is great. They, there are gym stories that have come out of his gym that his coaches tell, where they've brought in French wrestlers and and um, he's been able to deal with them with no problem. He's taken those guys down. He's a physical phenomenon and freak with his strength, and just at his age, he has so much less mileage on his body um, in combat sports than Al Strovereem does, and all the knockouts that he suffered, a number of them, a number of them many. Um, from Bigfoot to Chuck Liddell, uh, going all the way back to Chuck Liddell, uh, to Shogun and, and more. So, so the specter of him, um, losing, um, is great because he knows that, that he only needs to get hit once. So the question is, will he put together a game plan where he could stay away from Nganu, that he could land a one, two, he can fight him the way that he fought junior. And then, and then just keep doing that and try to tire him out, bring him to a you know, into a third round, and then possibly land something. I don't know if he can do that. Um, if he has enough patience, when he gets hit hard, and he gets a really bewildered look on his face, and really the fight or flight mechanism kicks in because he knows not that he's scared by any means, but he knows that he himself is in trouble because he's been there enough. So the question is, is can Nganu get there? And I think he can. I think eventually he will get there and he will land a counter hook. He'll land something. He'll hit Overeem and Overeem will go into defense mode. And the question is, does Nganu intelligently chase him and finish him without doing something silly that's going to get himself hurt? That we don't know. We don't know about that yet. But that is something um, that's something that um, that we can uh, look for to happen. So I'm going to take Francis Ngannou by TKO. Um, but this guy is—I mean, Overeem is a phenomenal talent. He can do anything he wants at any time during the fight. It's just a question of how um, how well he thinks about his game plan going into it and executes it because he's done it before. He was very close 
until he got himself in trouble against Stipe and then got hit on the ground and then he just couldn't take the ground and pound because Stipe is a very intelligent finisher. He doesn't throw himself into bad situations. He works from positions of strength. He doesn't overextend himself and it's very difficult to beat a guy like that. So um, so I really like, um, but I like Nganu to win in, and um, and I don't know that Stipe, or excuse me, that Overeem will be able to put together that brilliant game plan that he needs um, to win this kind of a fight. But I, I do applaud him for taking the fight because if he wins, he's back in a title shot again. And he does have a chance. He does have the skills to beat Stipe. But will he put them all together? All right. So let's go to Eddie Alvarez against Justin Gaethje. Um, you know... I think I, I don't know if I picked Eddie Alvarez against Connor. I might have. I might have been dominant, or I don't know if I did or not. So I, I can't remember my pick. I'd have to go back to the podcast. But Justin Gaethje, the Terminator, who's come over from, um, who's come over from um, World Series of Fighting, had a brilliant fight with uh, Michael Johnson, got hurt, was able to get enough space and enough time to recover after a real beating that he got in that round. He's very cyborg-like, Terminator-like fighter. And Eddie Alvarez, you know, I don't think Eddie will take him down. I don't know if he'll even go for it. I hope he does because it would be very smart for him to try to take Gaethje down. Um, Because if he just goes out and swings for the fences, it's anybody's fight, and I'll take Gaethje in that fight. Um, just because Eddie's taken a lot of damage, he really got hurt by Connor. I don't know how he's going to react to getting hit hard by Gaethje. Obviously not as hard as Connor's going to hit, but he's the kind of guy that can hit you hard, and when you hit him hard, he doesn't really react to it to, for the most part. Um, so I like Gaethje in the fight, um, although Eddie Alvarez is the kind of guy that has made people look bad on occasion when you make a pick against him and he's able to... I didn't think he would beat Chandler, you know, but he did. So sometimes Eddie Alvarez can make you eat your words and this could be one of those times. Um, he is a, you know, a phenomenal all-around talent. He's just got a lot of miles on him and I don't know that at this point he can get himself back to a position where um, he can take a lot of punishment and deliver a lot of punishment anymore. He can still deliver a lot of punishment, but I don't know if he can take a lot of punishment. Justin Gaethje is younger. Um, I think he still has the chin, and I think he'll be able to take more and land enough to bother Eddie and to make Eddie wonder what he's gotten himself into. So... Um, I also, you know, Eddie doesn't defend leg kicks very well. Everybody knows that. His fight against Cowboy. And Justin Gaethje throws leg kicks and throws low kicks very well. And if he hits Eddie low enough in that left calf, it could be a problem for him trying to plant on there and get off any kind of a body shot or anything like that. Or even be able to step into his right hand. So... So I'll take Justin Gaethje in that fight um, to win 
possibly by TKO also. And that brings us to another flyweight contest. This one I'm, I'm, I'm not too excited about because I think I know how this is going to go. And I feel a little bit bad for Sergio Pettis because this is uh, Henry Cejudo, or as the Brazilians would say, Henry Cejudo at 10 and 2, or 11 and 2, going up against uh, Sergio Pettis, a little more experienced at 16 and 2. And that's because uh, Cejudo almost walked into the UFC. You know, he had a lot of uh, credentials coming into his UFC career. Um, I, you know, when you put, well, first of all, you know, his striking game has really come leaps and bounds. Ironically, he was in Natal training with the Pitbull brothers, um, which is very interesting because Jussier, that's like his city. And Jussier was aware that he was there and that he was training with the Pitbull brothers. The word must have got to him fairly quickly. Uh, and they fought, which it, I thought it actually would have been interesting. I would have loved to seen if he could have trained with Jussier, but I don't know that he would want to train with a flyweight competitor. He might not. But, um, you know, that really added to his striking. The Pitbull brothers are really, I mean, they, they trained under people like the late, great Bruno Govea, who died in March end of March of uh, 2013, unfortunately, in an auto accident on his birthday down there in Natal. But I got a chance to go down there and just take a lesson from Bruno Govea along with uh, Martin Manrique. And um, he was a master of striking and kickboxing. And beautiful fundamentals He would teach you, start you off from day one of striking training. He doesn't care what level you're at. You were going to learn to do it his way with hand weights and doing very rote movements that the Pitbull brothers have now memorized the step, you know, the, the, the steps and the way that he would step, fire, step back, move your head, step move your head, fire, you know, is I, I, you know, and I can't remember it all. I actually have, I, I think I, I may still have that video somewhere of Bruno teaching how he teaches people day one, his system. And it was an honor to go and train there with Bruno. God rest in peace. So he trained under Bruno. They trained under uh, the father of Hernan Baral. Um, and his name is Net- Netinho Pagado who's also a former kickboxer and um, and other other folks. So the Pitbull brothers have trained with a number of great striking coaches and are really, really good at striking and fundamentals. And despite not having the best jiu-jitsu training in the city, they have good jiu-jitsu. They're very good fundamentals at everything. And you can go all the way back to Patricio Pitbull's fight against Joe Warren, who was absolutely on fire at the time when they fought. And Patricio has great takedown defense. He's a savant. I mean, I watched him train with my friend. um, And that's who Henry just trained under. So I'm digressing a little bit, but you get the idea. 
Henry Cejudo just trained under um, under uh, those guys, and and his striking game looks phenomenal. And that's what Sergio Pettis is going up against. And oh, by the way, he's an Olympic wrestler, something that you can't have a conversation about. Henry Cejudo, who I believe also went and did some training at AKA as well. You can't um, have a conversation about him without saying that he's an Olympic gold medalist, because he is. And in fact, he uses it in almost every conversation. But guess what? He has that level of wrestling. He has that power. And as straight up tall as Sergio Pettis stands, I cannot imagine, and I would love to have asked Ben Askren if he had worked with Sergio Pettis, Unfortunately, Ariel had him on, didn't ask him about that. But he stands very straight up, and he is going to be easy pickings, and he will be taken down by Henry Cejudo. Because if, if Henry Cejudo does not have immediate success in striking against Sergio, and, I'm not, and I don't think that he's going to outstrike Sergio, mind you, but if he doesn't have immediate success... He's going to be able to take Sergio down, and Sergio's jiu-jitsu bottom game is just not going to be enough for this iteration of Henry Cejudo. Now, the earlier iterations, the one where he was fighting in, um, I can't remember what promotion it was and um, that he was fighting in now, and you guys will have to forgive me, but it was the one that Mick Maynard was in before he became matchmaker for the UFC. Um, I don't think that... Um, that, that Sergio Pettis's bottom game is going to be enough to catch Henry Cejudo in an armbar or something like that, like his brother did to Ben, ben Henderson, things like that. Um, so I don't think this looks very good. Uh, I don't think this looks very good for, and it's not a very good matchup for, um, for Sergio Pettis. It's just not because there's too many ways for Henry Cejudo to win. He's, gonna, he's very aggressive. He's very powerful. He's very well-conditioned. He never stops coming forward. He never gives you room to breathe. He works well in the clinch. Um, he won't rest. He'll be trying to throw elbows against the cage and get your legs out from under you, and he will. He will get the legs out from underneath Sergio Pettis and take him down, and that's going to be a problem. And then he's going to have to work off the bottom. And now you've just taken the best part of Sergio Pettis' game and nullified it, and that's what's probably going to happen in this fight. So I have um, I have Henry Cejudo winning by either TKO or um, or decision. And um, all apologies to Sergio Pettis because it's so much fun to watch him fight and watch him strike, but it's going to have to be against a guy who's not on the level, because obviously Brandon Moreno couldn't get him down but his wrestling is nothing like a Sergio Pettis uh, and nothing like a Henry Cejudo, obviously. Um, next fight is Charles Oliveira against Paul Felder, the new UFC commentator, the um, training partner of Cowboy Cerrone, and he, the architect of many exciting fights, including that fight against Edson Barbosa, which was just incredible and brutal and beautiful. Um, and those are really good fights when you get two strikers and when you go striker grappler you know or striker wrestler where you know for sure that the wrestler guy is going to be able to take down the person uh, who is uh, the, the striker guy it's not quite as compelling so so I've got um, you know in that fight there Charles Oliveira you know 
you look at his record here, and he is 22-7, and and Paul Felder's 14-3. and Paul Felder's lost only against really, really good guys, and, um, and uh, Charles Oliveira just will slip on an onion peel all the time. So unless he can get this to the ground, I think he can do some real work on Paul Felder. Um, he is very tricky, even though Charles Oliveira got tapped by Sergio, uh, by uh, Anthony Pettis this time. I do think that uh, he can get to, uh, he can definitely, um, he could definitely get to um, Paul Felder on the ground. But Paul Felder is is really good on the feet. And I think um, Oliveira fancies himself as great on the feet, but he's not as great on the feet as he thinks. And he probably will be had, I think he will be had by, um, by Mr. Uh, Felder. So if I had to pick, if I, and I guess I have to pick because I'm telling you I'm going to pick. If I have to pick, I'm going to go with Paul Felder just because he's the more well-known commodity. He's the guy who we've seen have more success, more intelligent about the way that he fights, um, decent takedown defense, and I feel like Charles DeBronx is the more likely person to do something stupid and put himself in a situation that he can't get out of. Um, so I, I would I would take Felder to uh, be smart, be able to keep it on the feet, and be able to just work over uh, him. But I, I could be wrong. Charles Dobronx, if he gets it to the ground, um, he could easily finish this fight. He is very, very tricky on the ground. He is great in transition and scrambles. So if you scramble with him, you're probably going to get your back taken and you're going to be in trouble. Um, moving on to the last fight we're going to talk about um, is a really interesting fight. Drakkar Close, who recently won a fight, and I can't remember the name of the opponent, but there was mad, crazy, ridiculous trash talk between Drakkar Close, who was eight wins against zero losses and one draw, and the fella he fought he ended up taking out. But he looks like a pretty complete fighter. I think he trends under Henry Hooft and those guys um, against David Tamer. Interesting thing about this David Tamer, a striker, a, 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 um, I, I don't think he's Dutch. I think he might be Swedish, but he fights in that. I know for sure he fights in that Dutch kickboxing style. And, man, he really, really took it to Lando Venata with very basic fundamental combinations, Muay Thai, leg kicks, counterpunching, and all the, the trickiness and grooviness that we love of Lando Venata was basically he was taken out of his game and he was not able to out-wrestle and did not have the mindset to out-wrestle Tamer until it was too late. And by the time he probably thought about taking him down, he was pretty much out of the fight. So um, that's something to think about um, right there because... Um, I don't know that Tamer has the wrestling and grappling game to deal with a guy like Drakkar Close that's probably going to be able to get into a clinch and get he's a powerful striker himself, but also is going to be able to take the fight to the ground. And I don't think anything, I don't think that David Tamer has anything to stop this. Uh, me personally, as a matchmaker, I would not have made this match. 
I would have matched them up with two different people, and I would have liked to see Tamer climb higher. He has a very exciting style, and then I would have liked to see Drakkar Close go against another striker grappler and climb higher, and maybe they meet later on when for a title eliminator type of a bout. But I don't, I don't think I would have matched these two guys up, me personally. So um, you can take that for what it's worth. Um, let's see. So, so we're on our way to Florida, making some progress. Um, I don't have any more analysis for you at this time. We'll have to see uh, what happens over the next couple of days. There's some obviously drama brewing between Paige Van Zant and uh, Jessica I. Jessica I just appeared with Ariel on the MMA Hour. And by the way, I want to. One thing I rarely find myself doing is congratulating uh, Ariel Helwani on his views on a lot of stuff because of our. I guess the divergence between his philosophy on MMA and mine, fights that he wants to see versus fights I want to see, the way that he loves pro wrestling trash talk and the way I totally don't care about it, um, and um, those types of things. But first of all, he had on uh, Jessica I, and before we get to the trash talk and, and get to uh, his defense of uh, Tony Ferguson. He let Jessica I come in and defend herself against what Paige Van Zandt said regarding the fact that they signed to fight, uh, that they agreed to fight. She texted Jessica I, said, let's kick off this flyweight division. Let's have a great fight. She must have really thought about that. And then she backed out and made herself look like an idiot to, uh, and made herself look like an idiot to, uh, to Jessica I when she turned it down. And I'm very sad. Jessica I actually is very fortunate to have as many losses as she has and still be in the UFC. And part of that is probably her story, her background, some of the hard luck that she's had coming up, and the fact that um, she really does appeal to the eye and she's very beautiful. Uh, I would say to you that were she not as good-looking and attractive as she is, um, she would not be in the UFC anymore. And if you want to argue with me on that, it's, uh, it's at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life on uh, Twitter, DJ San Marco on Facebook or DJ San Marco one at Gmail. If you want to email me, um, if she were not as beautiful as she is, she would not be in the UFC anymore. If she were, um, I'm trying to think of the striker from Canada, what her name is now, Sarah, somebody. Um, it doesn't matter. You can name anyone you want. If she were Ashling Daly, anybody, she would not be in, uh, you know, girls that are less, have less of the mass appeal that, that women like uh, her have. They would not, she wouldn't be in the UFC. But I'm happy that she is in the UFC. Um, she's an acquaintance of mine and a wonderful person has a great story and I'm really happy that she's there. I just want to call the UFC out on that. It's her looks really that, uh, why she's still there. So she, uh, Paige Van Zandt, I'm sure is improving her skills by going around training with different people. I think she's back in Oregon or something. I think she's probably doing better, uh, in her training now, uh, because I don't think alpha male was the right place for her. 
that was going to make her better um, and get her striking to where and her, and her wrestling. You would think it would be the perfect place for her wrestling, but she couldn't take anybody down in in in, in a fight. So um, she would do that head and arm thing, and then I think she had her back taken last time she did that. But she couldn't shoot a, a good takedown and take someone down. So um, so anyway. I think, um, you know, hopefully she's going to get better, but it's not a good look for her. And I, I, although she's tough as nails, I don't see a lot of future for success for Paige. Um, because obviously Jessica, I doesn't have a record of destroying a lot of people lately. So why would you not take that fight? That would have been a good money fight for the UFC. Instead, she's going to fight I don't know if she said she's fighting Beckrall. I don't know who they said that Paige is fighting. I don't know if it's Beck Rawlings or whatever. I mean, everybody basically wants to fight Beck Rawlings because she doesn't really have a style that... She, there's nothing about her game that scares you. She's just a game girl that'll get in and fight, and then ultimately she really doesn't have a way to win. She's not a great striker. She's not a great grappler. She's not a great wrestler. That doesn't really leave anything to win a fight with. So a lot of people want to fight her. That's why um, whatever Tisha Torres wanted to fight, you know, everybody wants a fighter. They want to fight someone they know they can go in there, get their game off, and there's really no threat there. And that's I'm not trying to knock Beck Rawlings because she's a super nice girl. I love listening to her on, on the radio and stuff, but she's just not that good of a fighter. So anyway, um, so that's that. And I want to also congratulate Ariel on defending Tony Ferguson. So having Cormier and the AKA crew. So, and then you're in the middle of a phone call and, or you're in the middle of a podcast and you get a phone call from my wife. But when your wife calls, you answer. Well, actually I didn't have a choice. The phone actually made the decision to stop the podcast recording and have me talk to my wife. But, uh, I guess that was a smart decision anyway to me not, to not get myself in trouble with her. Anyhow, so that's the end. I wanted to just say uh, I was uh, trying to compliment Ariel Helwani because you had Daniel Cormier and the AKA Mafia that were campaigning against Tony Ferguson that he should step up on five weeks' notice and fight Khabib at, as headliner of UFC 219 when, in fact, um, he shouldn't do that. Um, Edson Barbosa's been booked. He was promised McGregor when McGregor comes back. McGregor has expressed, expressed tacit interest in that fight as well, and he deserves that fight. And I don't see why um, he should change what he's doing because of, um, because of Barbosa, or excuse me, because of Khabib now wants to fight. He was ready to fight him back, uh, and now I don't remember, it was uh, early in the year, they were going to fight, Khabib did not show up and make weight, supposedly he was sick, which may or may not have been from the weight cut, but when they showed up, they squared off at the um, at the face-off with Dana White, and he appeared heavy, he appeared heavy to Ferguson, Ferguson said as much, and then in the weight cut, he screwed up. He obviously made the same mistake that many, 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 many fighters have made 
where they carry too much weight into fight week and then they can't cut that weight. So um, he's a wrestler. He should know how to, and he's been a professional fighter for 24 fights. He should be able to do this, and he didn't, and it's his fault. And the fact that what they talked about is health may be related to the weight cuts. So um, it's still probably his fault, more than likely, more than likely. So, uh, no, uh, uh, Tony Ferguson, I agree as much as that is probably one of the most desired fights I could possibly see in all the UFC would be Tony Ferguson against Khabib. I don't think he should step up and make that fight happen just because of uh, um, just because uh, he wants it. Just because uh, what you call it wants it, uh, Khabib. It's he's blown weight um, a, a couple of times, gotten sick, pulled out, and um, I'm a big fan of of him and his skills. But you can't just say, "Well, we're going to remake everything because of of him." He has to come out and prove that he can make weight, win a fight take a break, come back again, go into camp, come out healthy, make weight again, and get ready for the next fight. You can't just build everything around what he wants to do. You can't do that. So I, I agree with uh, him not doing that. Uh, as much as I'm a fan of him and as much as I want to see him fight, you can't just uh, remake everything for him every time. He has to prove that he can do this on a consistent basis key being consistent so all right guys uh thank you very much for listening uh two days in a row of dj is probably too much so maybe i'll wait a day before posting this and you guys will see it um in a uh, day or so uh but i wanted to preview 219 and uh and and we'll keep coming back with more i've got the time to do it now um i'm not as distracted i'm traveling Although I'm about to start my new my new job, but uh, um, we'll we'll keep doing this and uh, bring you more analysis, and I'll bring on some good guests, and we'll we'll enjoy ourselves. All right, uh, thank you very much um, for on the road part two. I doubt we'll do a part three unless I can find something in the MMA news that I feel compelled to talk to you about, uh, and if I do, I will come back on air. I'm sorry I missed. The whole John Jones thing and all that. I have a lot of thoughts about that. And I have a lot of tentacles. Uh, by the way, a little UFC news. I talked with Claudia Gadelia. She had knee surgery. Successful meniscus surgery the other day. And uh, feels like she'll come back stronger. And uh, and we'll be looking for her next fight. Maybe a Tisha Torres uh, or something like that. So, alright. Um, again, love you guys. Thank you for uh, listening and um, let me know if there's anything you like or don't like or want want to be talked about as always you can you can always reach me on on Twitter or Facebook uh, Twitter at, at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life and on my Facebook and my my DJ San Marco at Gmail so um, on the road part two complete and as always I always wonder what's up around the bend